This is Justin Lanero from the Disturbing the Peace podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 107, Spaceballs Movie Review. I'm Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, Caveman. It's Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You're going to find us at popgoesyourworld.com. Make sure and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. And if you're on Twitter, you can reach out to us at Amaron underscore DM for Derek or at C McBrien for me. Derek Myers, how are you, my friend? Chris McBrien, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I understand you were away on vacation. Where did you go? I was. I went to the Origins Game Fair, the Origins Game Convention. That's board games in Columbus, Ohio. Nice. And uh, I had a great time. My wife accompanied me uh, and she, although she is a uh, huge board game nerd, just like I am, uh, she'd never been to one of these conventions before. Uh, I have been going to gaming conventions for probably about 15 years on and off. So I knew what to expect. She had no idea. And I uh, am pleased to say that she had a great time. And on the uh, the ride home, we had a long discussion about what she liked, what she didn't like, what she might do differently. Would she go back? And she definitely seemed very enthusiastic about going to Another convention in the near future, possibly going back to Origins next year or trying something different. So I think uh, I think we have found a new uh, a new thing we can do together. Uh, take a little vacation, go do gaming conventions. And uh, it was really good. It's basically the way it's set up is it's an opportunity for people who are producing new games to promote and sell their products. It's like a trade show for people who make board games. And so me as a gamer, I want to go and try out these new games, see what they're like. And if they're good, I, in most cases, have an opportunity to make a purchase. And I think we bought 10 or between 10 and 15 new board games. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to have some friends over so that we can share these great games with them. It was a lot of fun. So a couple things. Number one, with these kids today, you know, and all their digital stuff and their tablets and everything else, they still play board games. Yeah, the thing with the board games, and and even uh, to the same extent with role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, which I have played forever and ever, is there's a social aspect to these games that you just don't get with the digital interaction. Even if you're playing like, uh, you know, Warcraft or, uh, or any of these like uh, online multiplayer uh, role-playing games where you've got these whole worlds where people have the headsets and you can talk to each other. Yeah, that's a certain social element, but it's it's something different when you sit at an actual table with real people where you can see them and interact with them and, and see their facial expressions and their body language. I agree and, with you. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what we're seeing, I don't do it so much anymore, but we used to do a lot of gaming at the local game stores. They would do game nights where they would try to um, educate and teach us these these board games that maybe we had never heard of before in order again to try and boost sales but partly because they knew what kind of games we liked and and they knew they would it was an easy sale for them if they could get us on board and we would see a lot of parents bringing their younger kids uh, and not, not even like children kids but like maybe from like eight nine ten up to like mid-teens to these board game nights and you could see that the children, their social skills needed a little bit of development still, if you will. Like not not like, oh, my God, they were super socially awkward. But you could really tell that this kind of interaction was would help them. And the parents would realize that. And often you would have the kids and the parents playing together. And, and even some of the parents would say to us like that they appreciated this opportunity to share something with their kids, to share like a hobby or, or some fun outing. Uh, because like me, a lot of the parents are like, I don't play video games. I'm not into video games. This is not something I can do with my kid. But board games, for the most part, you can have people of varying ages play the same game and, and everybody gets something out of it. Very cool. So there's that. And then the second thing I wanted to ask was, did you bring Escape from the Death Star? No, I did not. I, I We only brought a couple of games with us. And the only time we even had a chance to play anything we brought was the very first night we were there. We actually went a day early. And so there was probably only about a third to a half of the participants go the night before 
And because the show hasn't started yet, nobody's had an opportunity to purchase any new games yet. So you see a lot of people playing their favorite games. So that's basically what we did. We brought one or two that we liked. We had a chance to only play one of them. And then we got to sleep early that night. And then after that, it was all about new games. So for me, as you probably know, Father's Day was recently. So I decided to make a little trek over. I took one of my sons, my youngest son. He's six. And we went over to see my dad. And so on the drive over, I, I have like the, the DVD player, you know, in the car that goes on the back of the, you know, the, the, the chair rests or the arm or the, the chairs. And so, so I put the DVD player on and I said, well, what movie do you want to watch? And like I say, he's six. So he's like, I want to watch Return of the Jedi. I'm like, yes, parenting win. So I put Return of the Jedi on. And so he's back there and I get him to put a headset on. So he's wearing headphones and he's got his movie plugged in. So I don't have to listen to it. I'm just driving. I'm listening to a podcast or something like that. And all of a sudden, he's like, Dad. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'm at the part with Jojo Siwa. And I said, what? What the hell are you talking about? And he goes, I'm at the part with Jojo Siwa. And I'm like, what, we, what is that? He's like, you know, the guy that goes, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, that's Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> like, he thinks it's Jojo Siwa. This is like the ultimate Gen X millennial, you know, just crashing together. But I don't even know who Jojo Siwa is. I had to go and Google it. Apparently, it's some kid singer or something like that. But uh, he mixed it up. So apparently, Jojo Siwa is, you know, not just a, a millennial singer, but also somebody who casts people into the Sarlacc pit, apparently. So there's that. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we so go. I you learn something thing. new every day. Exactly. Okay. So on that note, let's get started. I mean, we love him. We hate him. We agree. We disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question! Okay, so this week I, I got to pick a movie. So, of course, I went back to the 1980s because that's what I want to do. So I had you uh, watch Spaceballs. And disclaimer, I'm probably going to laugh a lot during this show, just so you know. I'm, I'm assuming you probably have seen Spaceballs before, but uh, anyway, I made you go back and watch it again. So uh, what are your thoughts initially on the movie? How, does it hold up after all these years? 1987, it came out. What are your thoughts? Spaceballs, go. All right, so you're right. I had seen Spaceballs before this week. I had seen it multiple times before this week, maybe four or five probably at the most it's since 1987 so mm -hmm. you know and definitely when it first came out on uh, on home video probably in the late 80s early 90s I, I can remember renting it a couple of times i can remember going to a friend's house for like a weekend where you get a bunch of buddies coming over and it's like let's do the star wars trilogy and so you'd have the star wars trilogy on over the course of the weekend and then the you know sort of the end it all we would usually throw on space balls because so much of space balls is a parody or an homage to the original Star Wars trilogy. And so having that fresh in your mind when you then watch Spaceballs, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of humor that is even funnier. A lot of the subtleties, you, you pick up on them a little more clearly, a little more easily. So I had seen it a, a, a few times before this. Now, in all fairness, I haven't probably seen it in 15 years or more. So it's been a while. And I knew there were definitely going to be parts that I had forgotten or, you know, sometimes with movies that you remember fondly, you sort of misremember them. You, you sort of paint them with a happy brush because you watch them in a time in your life when it was a happier place. And sure enough, when I watched it just this week, there were some things that uh, I really laughed at because I totally forgot. And there were other things where I sort of went, oh, I remember that being a lot better. Um, so overall, yes, I enjoyed the movie. I think it's a good movie. But I do think now watching it years later with some perspective, with the uh, – again, through the lens of 2019, there are potentially some some issues, not nearly as bad as say something like Revenge of the Nerds where there are like some big issues. <laughs> right. um, but I think with this one, I found a lot of the humor relied on context as as humor often does. But I found a lot of the humor relied on specific context, mostly from Star Wars and other sort of 80s sci-fi movies, um, but also just to the time in which it was written and created. There were a lot of 80s references that I don't think a younger viewer would get. Like they wouldn't understand why that was funny or the line to them might just 
just might not make sense. Um, but I don't think that's a detriment to the movie. I think there's a lot of stuff in this movie that you would still enjoy if you were a new, younger person coming to it new. I mean, Mel Brooks makes great movies, uh, in my opinion. And I think that this is certainly, uh, uh, you know, one of one of the ones that I enjoy. Like, you know, I would say it's probably in my top five Mel Brooks movies, probably hit around four or five. Like, it's not number one, but it's, it's certainly in there. And uh, the fact that it parodies Star Wars so much certainly, you know, helps it get that ranking for me. Um, but no, for the most part, I enjoyed it. And I'm sure we'll talk about some specific things that we really liked and maybe didn't like so much upon a more recent viewing. So I'm going to turn it back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk. This is your movie. You talk about it for a little bit. So a uh, couple things. So remember when you and I first met each other, it was like 25 years ago when I was living in Toronto and we had a, a mutual friend, Rob, who was like a radio guy in Toronto. And so when I lived in Toronto, Rob and I used to watch this movie all the time. We'd get together and just hang out. We just watch Spaceballs and just laugh and laugh and laugh at it. And one of the, so I had, I hadn't seen it in oh, probably 20 years. And so it was interesting to go back and watch it. I didn't realize, I, I never remembered how fast and furious the jokes come at you in this movie. It is absolutely nonstop. Like, it is like a machine gun fire. It reminds me of, of Airplane. Like, it's just nonstop. Yeah. Joke after joke after joke after every single line in the movie is a joke in some way or a sight gag. Like, and, and that's not always Mel Brooks style, you know, so it's kind of interesting. But I would like to, um, to reiterate uh, what you said uh, about Mel Brooks. For me, I love Mel Brooks. Like, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, his stuff, either you, you love or you hate it. And I'm definitely in the love camp. Um, I agree. He's made some amazing movies over the years. I've always sort of considered him to be a bit of a comedic genius, you know. But that being said, he's had some major hits and he's had some major misses. And I think it's important, and I always say this on this podcast, it's really important to take things in context. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because you got to kind of look at, you know, the time in which the movie came out. And when Spaceballs came out, you know, in 1987, it was pretty much considered to be one of his misses, you know. I mean, it came on the heels of History of the World Part One, which was a bomb, even though I loved it. Uh, but when Spaceballs came out, you got to remember, like, Star Wars was dead. Like, Jedi was back in 83. The trilogy was all wrapped up. It was over. So the idea of spoofing Star Wars wasn't really, I would say it wasn't necessarily something that audiences had a huge appetite for in those days. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and like you said, you, you'd put this in, you know, one of his top movies. He only ever, hard to believe, he's only directed 11 movies. You know, like you, you think there, there was a lot more than that, but it's just 11. Uh, but this one, like I said, came right after History of the World Part One, had no major stars in it. It's juvenile. It's goofy. And audiences didn't really know what to make of it. And for me, a lot of his earlier films had a lot of clever insight in them. Yes. Yes. And, agreed. And, and this one was just straight juvenile jokes for like 96 minutes. So, like I say, it, it wasn't a real success when it came out. It was made for $22.7 million. It grossed 38.1. So it broke even and made a bit of money, I guess. But it was far from a hit, you know. But it did do very well on home video. And then that's really where it found its legs and, and its yeah. audience, right? Because, I mean, I asked my wife if she'd ever seen it. And she told me all about how uh, it played on First Choice, the movie channel. Yeah, and, and, yep. and she's like, well, we recorded it on VHS and we would watch it over and over again when I was a kid, you know. Um, the big thing takeaway for me from it is is the fact that it's, it's such a spoof. You mentioned it's a spoof of Star Wars. And the thing is, when you look back on Mel Brooks, too, and I never really thought of it like this. I, I don't know why I never put things in context, but Mel Brooks just loves to spoof stuff. But he likes to spoof genres of film. Because yeah. if you think about it, like he did in Blazing Saddles, he spoofed Westerns. Yeah. Young Frankenstein spoofs horror movies. Silent movie spoofs silent movies, right? High Anxiety spoofs Hitchcock. And this spoofs, you know, uh, Star Wars and, and science fiction films. But uh, overall, I thought it stood up pretty good. Um, like you said, there's a couple things that are a little bit dated, but for the most part, the, the, I think it's because the jokes come at you so fast and just at such a rapid fire that if a couple of them miss, it doesn't matter because there's another one right after it. So I, I liked it. it. It held up and I laughed nonstop through it again. Yeah, I found uh, – so I'm just, just to back up a little bit. You were talking about the hits and misses. Um, and, and So definitely, in my opinion, this one here, this was for me sort of where Mel Brooks 
uh, started on the downward slope. Definitely. So after this, I agree. Yeah, that's after a good point. This, you have Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is basically a spoof of the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, uh, which I guess is a spoof on Bram Stoker's Dracula, another yep. horror movie, because that was around the time when the horror genre started to sort of get a reboot, right, in yep. the mid-90s. Yep. And, and both of those movies were uh, – well, let's just say not great. Yeah, and, I, and Life Stinks, he did right after Space Wars, bombed. Like, oh, I don't even remember that yeah, one. Yeah, it was just not good. So, yeah, you're right. That's a really, yeah. that's, a, that's a good point. Like, this was now, sort of his downfall, yeah. So, and I was thinking about this a little bit. So, to, to what you just said, Young Frankenstein was more of a, a spoof on the horror genre. Blazing Saddles was a spoof on the Western genre. It wasn't that it was spoofing a single movie although i guess you could argue young frankenstein was to a certain extent uh, but it was more to me anyway it seemed more like let's look at this genre as a whole let's see what we can do to spoof or parody this genre with Spaceballs, it was very much more we're gonna look at star wars a movie and don't get me wrong star wars is the pinnacle of science fiction movies so if you're going to do one of them, if you're going to spoof a sci-fi movie, that's the one to do. But I think that it almost um, handcuffs the movie a little bit in that if you're going to do just Star Wars, you you have to really color within the lines. And then I found that if you look at what came after this, that formula was repeated. So again, you have Robin Hood, which is spoofing – you have Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is spoofing a specific Robin Hood movie – and then you have the the vampire one with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Again, it spoofs a very specific movie. And those ones, again, they felt very restricted and restrictive of what they could do and what they could say and how the story had to progress. Because when you're trying to follow an existing movie, you can only veer off the path so much before it's not going to make any sense. Uh, but in this case, in Spaceballs, I think it works. But I think if – if it had been a little broader and it had been more, we're going to spoof the sci-fi genre as opposed to we're just really going to pick on Star Wars and throw a few other details in. I think it might have actually worked a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And and he definitely did spoof genres as opposed to individual films, except for this one. And it wasn't even the first Star Wars spoof that came out, surprisingly enough, because back in 78, uh, this guy called Ernie Fasel, I think it was Faselius. And he came out with Hardware Wars. It was, like, really popular. Even Lucas liked it. And uh, he made it on, like, nobody at all. Uh, But it was quite popular. So he wasn't even, like, uh, Mel Brooks wasn't even the first one to this. But going back to your point about how the fact that he loves to spoof genres, I have a couple questions about this movie. Uh, And, again, how it holds up over time. I have a question for you. Is this movie, and for that matter, are other Mel Brooks movies, too, but we'll stick with this one primarily. Is this movie racist? What do you think? Um, yes. Uh, now, to be honest, when I first watched this, like there's the whole idea of the Druish versus Jewish, right? Like I yeah. think that's a pretty obvious that's where it's going with that. As a youngster, I I did not understand that connection or context. It, that made no sense to me at all. And it just but it didn't matter because there was a lot of other stuff going on in the movie. It wasn't until I was a little bit older watching it again and sort of going, oh, I see where he's going with this. And well, especially the it, scene when when Lone Star says, oh, great, a Druish princess. Yeah. Again, as as a, you know, someone in their early teens, like that meant nothing to me. I had no idea what what that was in context or reference to. And by the time I sort of got a little older and understood it a little better, I saw like it. I didn't find it funny. So, again, I don't know, like, is it racist? I guess you'd have to say yes, but not like something like Blazing Saddles. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that. That's, again, like you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today with that script. It wouldn't fly. Right. But I think Spaceballs, you could probably remake this with this script and and not have to make very many significant adjustments. And and the, the Druish versus Jewish, I don't think that would really need to be changed that much. I mean, it, again, I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. But I don't think it has the the – the landmine factor that some of the other things might have if, the, it, if he was remaking a different movie. I get it. The, the scene that jumps out to me is when they're combing the desert and they're like, are we being too literal? And then, and, and, and then there's the, the Afro comb, the, the black guys with yeah, the Afro comb. The pick. And he's got the, I, I, I even like the big round black helmet that looks like an Afro. And yeah. then, and of course the line, we ain't found. 
Like, it's so racially charged. And and some of the racial stuff in Mel Brooks movies is really funny, but it's also inappropriate. But but you mentioned Blazing Saddles, but I, I will defend the language that's used in Blazing Saddles because the whole point is that the, it's the townspeople that use that racial epithet. And they're made out to be, like, totally uneducated hicks, right? And the joke's supposed to be on them because they're the ones that are the ignorant ones, right? Yeah. And, and we covered that back on episode 35 of this podcast, you know, if anyone wants to go back and listen. So... In terms of, of it being racist, I would argue that it's not, because I think just like in past Mel Brooks movies, for me, it's a play on a stereotype, you know, and he, and he does yeah, this sure. I'll, over I'll and over. Yeah, yeah, he does it over and over in his movies, right? Like like I said, we saw it in Blazing Saddles. You know, he's always, he's like endless Jewish jokes, you know, poking fun at stereotypes. I mean, he's Jewish, right? And, yeah, and he, he laughs at those stereotypes. Yeah, that's sort of the, the license he gets, right? Because he's Jewish, he can make these 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 observations and this humor around it uh so yeah i don't know if you can just say flat out is it racist no i think it's sort of a no like (laughs) well like i say i think it's a play on stereotype if dark helmet had said you guys aren't doing a good job combing the desert because you're black i mean that's racist right but it's more of a play on stereotypes that we see in his movies like um now you could argue that playing on stereotypes isn't funny that's okay. You could make you could make that, or you could argue sure. that it, that it's not very clever. I, I get that. Yeah, but I don't think Brooks is trying to be manifestly racist in his movies. I I agree. I agree with that for sure. Uh, juvenile, on the other hand, definitely. And this movie takes, like I said, I think a lot of his past movies were very clever in their nature, but this one, no, it's just juvenile, 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 and it's it's too bad because I think. You know, there's a couple of real iffy parts in terms of suitability, like for kids. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of profanity, lots of profanity in this movie. They drop the F-bomb at one point. But otherwise, it's too bad because I think it's something kids could really, really take to. You know, I I have long thought that if Mel Brooks movies were a little less crude, if they were cleaned up, most of them would actually be really good for kids. Like Blazing Saddles, if they took out the racist language, it's something kids would mean. I mean, the farting scene. Like, kids would just love it. You know what I mean? And Spaceballs, to me, is kind of the same way. Like, it's juvenile. It's silly. Kids love Star Wars. So it's almost great for kids, except for, you know, a few parts. I'm sure we'll touch on a few of them if we go into some of the scenes. But um, it's too bad, because if, if they took out some of the swearing and stuff like that, kids would love this. There's no way I'm letting my kids watch it in its uncut form. But I think uh, so I agree with what you're saying to a certain extent. But I think that, as I mentioned before, some of the humor, a lot of the humor relies on contextual understanding of the what is being made fun of. And without that context, what it, it's not as funny or it's not funny at all. Like if you if you just have straight up never seen Star Wars, never seen Aliens, never seen some of the Star Trek movies, like there are certain scenes that just they make no sense unless you understand that this is a parody of this other scene right down to the words that are used or the costumes that are used or the placement of the person on the screen uh like that that takes a lot of skill to pull off and if you have that context as a as a viewer it's funny you can laugh at it you can appreciate it the attention to detail is part of what makes it so funny but like you said, if you were to show it to your kids, if there was a, a you know made for TV version of it where they took out the swearing and uh, and you felt, you know what, this this might be suitable for maybe not your kids as in their current young age, but in a couple of years from now, I, I don't think they would understand or get a lot of the humor. But like you already said, you don't get that joke. Fine. There's a fart joke coming up in 10 seconds. Uh, and hey, who doesn't love a good fart joke? Well, of course, like I said, kids like it. You know, some of the other juvenile stuff that stood out to me, like the Schwartz lightsabers. They come out of the yeah. ring, like, and of course they have to put the ring at their crotch, right? And then make a comment about the size of their swords. Like, I mean, come on. And I, I, I absolutely love Pizza the Hut. I don't know. There's something about Pizza Hut and Dom DeLuise's voice, and you can see like the guy is like wearing this, this thing, and it's like dripping down. I don't know. The pepperonis falling off of, and the guy beside him is like eating them. Like, just I don't know. There's something about Pizza the Hut. I just laugh every time I see that thing. There's something just so absurd. And like even when when the, there's a there's a scene where the big stone lands on yogurt's foot and it flattens it out like a roadrunner cartoon. Like again, kids would love this. Like it's so juvenile, right? There's a scene when Dark Helmet says to the guy, "What you went over my helmet?" 
And then, of course, he zaps him in the crotch. Like, yeah. <laughs> of course. And the, the combing the desert scene, you know, we mentioned. The, the other part about that scene that I thought was so funny, and I forgot all about it, and it just kind of stood out to me, was when Dark Helmet uses the megaphone to talk to, to uh, Sanders right beside him. Yeah. And then he puts it down, and to communicate to the guys in the distance, he yells at them. Like, I don't know, just little things like that. Like, I didn't catch, even though I saw it, you know, maybe because it was just years ago watching it over and over. I was like, God, that's pretty funny. And then the scene when they beam him down, and he gets turned around, so his head's on backward. And then, remember, he looks down, he's like, why didn't anyone tell me my ass was so big? And he, like, scratches it. And he scratches his own butt. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Like, it's so juvenile. And the whole scene with the He's like, he's an He's like, I know that, but what's his name? That's his name, Major Gunner's mate, first class Major He's like, how many we got on this ship anyhow? And they all put their hands up. I knew it, I'm surrounded by Like, it just, and they keep firing I don't know. To me, I just, I laugh at it because it's just so, so juvenile, right? But a, a lot of it revolves around a dark helmet, I think. That's where a lot of the real juvenile type humor comes from the klutziness of them and everything else yeah and i think i think that's part of what makes this this movie work is that you have rick moranis and john candy in these you know pretty significant roles so you know those guys have the the comedic chops to to keep up with mel brooks and you got to imagine that there's a certain level of improv happening on the on the set and uh, with with guys like that in these positions uh, and even Mel Brooks, right? Like they would have all been in scenes together when you've got uh, Rick Moranis and Mel Brooks together in uh, some of the same scenes. I, I've got to think some of that was ad-libbed, uh, which would have made the scenes better. I know for a fact that the scene where uh, Rick Moranis was playing with the little dolls, they basically just put him at a table and he didn't know it wasn't in the script. And they just said to him, here's a bunch of dolls. Just be funny. And he just he improvised that whole scene. And like when you watch it, it's so funny. And then the guy comes in and he's like, he's like, no, no, dude, what did you see? I wasn't playing with my dolls. <laughs> like, that's so funny. Um, one of the li- one of the lines that always made me laugh. And yeah. again, I don't know if it was in the original script was um, later on where the doctor is threatening to give her back her old nose. And then uh, the, he's there with the really pretty nurse. And then when they leave and Rick Moranis turns to the other guy and he goes, I bet she gives great helmet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so juvenile, like just so juvenile. Oh man! But like I say, some of the uh, the the scenes where that he's in, where he's like all like he falls down, and he and remember when he's he's like go to ludicrous speed, and then he's like, put the brakes on, and then he like flies ahead, and then when they're watching the VHS tape, he's like never watch that part again, you know. Yeah. And then the car hood closes on him. And then there's one scene where that the camera kind of zooms in on him and just hits him and knocks him over. Yeah, like it's so yeah. stupid. Even in the desert transport, he falls back and stuff like that. And then, of course, the, the Jawas, instead of them, they're called Dinks. And yeah. that's what they say. Dink, dink. Again, just, just so juvenile. But there's something about it that's also endearing in some way. I don't want to say innocent, but it, it's just it's kind of it's just fun. It's a fun, fun movie, I think, to watch. I'm surprised how many times in this movie that he breaks the fourth wall. And, and yeah. Mel Brooks likes to do that a lot, but yeah. he does it a lot in this movie, doesn't he? Yeah, and it was when I was trying to think of like trivia questions for the movie and, and stuff, I, I was, you know, racking my brain for some ideas. And, and that was one of the things that I thought of is maybe I should make something around like breaking the fourth wall. And then but I couldn't remember how often it was done in the movie. And then I'm about halfway through and I thought, geez, there is a lot of that uh, talking directly to the camera or or just that, you know, that spoofing the whole just the whole idea of 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 the breaking the fourth wall. It's like, geez, I, I should have gone down that road. I think there was some gold there that I missed. Well, the ones that jump out to me is when they're doing the VHS rewinding scene. Yeah. And then they're breaking the fourth wall. They're talking to the camera. And then when they're having the lightsaber duel at the end with dark helmet yeah. And, and, yeah. Then, and then dark helmet like lunges at Lone Star and accidentally like kills the boom mic operator. You know, and he's like, and then he goes, uh, he did it. He did it. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> the way he delivers that line always so made funny. me laugh. So funny. What a, and then it's such a funny thing with Rick Moranis because, you know, he's so funny. And then he basically just quit making movies not that long after this. You know, he just got out of it. But while I'm just thinking of the uh, the break in the fourth wall, if you think about Blazing Saddles, he basically did that for the whole last act of the yeah, movie. Yeah, the, the last, the, yeah, yeah, the finale. Yeah, the, the whole them. thing. You yeah. know? Oh, man, I don't know. It's so funny. And, and even just thinking about that, that, the part with the VHS 
where they rewind it and then they watch it. Like, really, if you looking at it now, it's like a twisted commentary on kind of that revolution of home video technology. Because at the time, that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's hard for millennials to to grasp that these days. But back then, the idea of getting home video and being able to watch a feature film at home, pause it, rewind it, watch it over again. Like, it's a big deal, you know? And so they obviously play on that scene with the fact that they're making it, you know, so fast that it's they're making it as it's, you know, it's coming out, you know, at the same time that they're making it and all that. You know, um, John Candy, I want to touch base on, you know, late, sure. great John Candy, obviously died in 94. Um, I think he makes anything he's in better just by being in it. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. He is so good. And then he, you talk about improvised. Uh, there was another scene where that was improvised or not meant to be when he goes to get up and he forgot to undo his seatbelt. And that was not in the script. And he hits himself and he's like, oh, that's going to leave a mark. That's that's an improvised line that they just left in, you know, in the scene. I, John Candy is great. Uh, Joan Rivers, again, <laughs> makes an appearance. Like, what the heck is she doing in this? Well, her voice anyway. And even Dick Van Patten. It's like, what's he doing? He was in this really movie? good at this. Yeah, like, what the, but he was so funny because he's so stupid, right? Where he's talking about the how he got the car. Yes. At the beginning. And yeah. he's like, oh, she what's, what's she driving? And then he starts describing it. And he's like, I got a good deal. And my brother has a deal. And he's like giving all these unnecessary details. It just made me laugh. <laughs> that was really funny. I forgot about that. That was a good, that's funny too. And when he's talking about his luggage, you know, the, and, and the, or not the luggage, the, uh, the combination. One, yeah. two, three, four, five. And then later on, uh, the Mel Brooks character is like, I got the same combination on my luggage, you know? And, and even just, there's that one scene where, where he goes to the urinal, Mel Brooks, and, and then and the video screen comes on. It's the female commander. Oh, yeah. And then when she, just before she signs off, just for a split second, she just looks down. And it's <laughs> it's just nonstop sight gags and jokes. Um, Michael Winslow makes an appearance. Remember, he's one of the space balls. Yeah. He popped best, up. In a, best known for his his uh, comedic skills and in, in uh, the Police Academy movie. Exactly, and he and he showed up in a lot of other movies in the eighties there for a while, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, another thing you mentioned was you know that it's a uh, a spoof of Star Wars, which it, which it totally is. But there are homages to other movies in here. Obviously, um, Alien. Yeah, for there's sure. the scene with John Hurt. And he's like, "Oh no, not again!" When it comes out of his belly, and Planet of the Apes. When oh that, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah, mega sure. made spaceship. Remember, it looks like the Statue of Liberty. Um, so, one thing we we talk about quite a bit on the podcast is rewatchability. What are your thoughts on the, after watching it after all these years? Could you still is it is it one of those movies you can watch over and over and over again, or where does it fall in that in that regard? No, I, I don't think it's something I would want to watch over and over again. I think it's it's one of those things where, as I mentioned earlier. I, if I go back and was to rewatch the original Star Wars trilogy, this would be something I would probably want to watch maybe within a few months of that while the details were still fresh. But it's not one that I would pull off the shelf or, or call up on the queue and go, hey, you know, I got an afternoon to kill. What am I going to watch? Uh, definitely, this isn't something I would just pull at, pull at random. If anything, I would probably go to something like Blazing Saddles before I would come to Spaceballs. It, it again, it it held up okay. I I just like I said, I found a lot of it seemed dated. Not a lot of it, but enough of it seemed dated to me that it didn't really, um, it didn't really entice me to want to go back and potentially rewatch it again anytime soon. Like I said, it was probably about fifteen years since I've seen this in its entirety. If I went another five or ten before I saw it again, I'd be okay with that. I mean, I, I would definitely watch it again. But not anytime soon. Like I say, one of my biggest takeaways watching again is just the way that the jokes come at you. Like they just flying at you nonstop. And the thing is, they don't make movies like this anymore. They just don't. They don't. They, they, comedies nowadays are not like this. They just aren't. And I think you could watch it over and over and still be getting jokes out of it that you missed, you know, the first 10 times you saw it. Um, and some of the quotes, we've talked before about quotes from movies some of the quotes in this movie, two that stand out to me that I liked at the time, I kind of forgot about when I, until I watched it again. Uh, when the, he does the play on the I'm your father. Oh, he, yeah. I'm your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. You know, like, it's so stupid. And then I love my probably my favorite line in the whole movie is when Dark Helmet says evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. It's just a stupid line. I just love it. I don't know what it is. I always like when they first meet um, Mel Brooks as yogurt and they're like, 
you, he's like, oh, you heard of me? And they're like, yogurt, the great yogurt, the magnificent yogurt, the wonderful. And he's like, no, no, please just plain yogurt. I'm just plain yogurt. <laughs> just plain yogurt. Oh, my God. That always made me laugh. Exactly. I like that, too. Funny with Bill Pullman in this movie, because he had never had a starring role before this. They wanted Tom Cruise. They wanted Tom Hanks. They couldn't get him. And uh, so they went with uh, Pullman, you know. And uh, Pullman goes on to be the president of the United States in the Independence Day film. Exactly. I think because they had Rick Moranis and John Candy already lined up, they were able to get an unknown to play kind of a lead role. Like they were able to get away with it. And I like the fact, too, that they mentioned a sequel in this movie because they call it the Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. Yeah. and, and funny enough, Rich, Rick Moranis actually suggested, because um, they, they had they'd approached him about, you know, hey, do you want to maybe do a sequel? The, the studio, that was. Um, and he, he wanted to call it Spaceballs 3, The Search for Spaceballs 2. <laughs> which I thought <laughs> was kind of funny. One. Yeah. But Mel Brooks has never done a sequel. You know, and I'm sure he wasn't about to start well, that. They, they keep right? talking about potentially making a space policy. I saw just in the last six months I've seen through social media that, again, you, you never know what is just fans hoping for something, posting blog articles going, oh, wouldn't this be great versus actual information? But uh, there's there's a, a poster for Spaceballs 2 that's been circulating on the Internet from the last few months. Again, I don't think it's real, but you never know. Today's day and age, if there's a potential to make a buck by making a sequel and enough of the original people are still interested, are still available. I mean, obviously, John Candy uh, no longer with us, so he wouldn't be in the movie. But Rick Moranis is, isn't making movies anymore, so well, I don't know. And, and, and Bull Pullman, I guess, is making movies, but he's not an AA++ nope. star. So Good point. you could probably get most of the original cast to come back at a pretty reasonable expense, introduce maybe a few younger characters, sort of – Make it like a sort of next generation story or something along those lines, or maybe even try and spoof uh, Force Awakens, uh, you know, like the new Star Wars movies, so that you have that that parallel of Spaceballs is a parody of Star Wars and Spaceballs Two is a parody of Force Awakens. Anyway, who knows? Do, do spoofs even exist anymore? Uh, well, they had the the ones that the Wayans brothers had started, where oh, they were yeah, like the not, scary not movie. Another, there was yeah. scary movie and not another teen movie, and and then there was a bunch that just they started churning them out every year. There was a new version of it so based stupid. on whatever had come out in the previous years. Some were better than others. Some were actually pretty good, but then they really started to go downhill, and the jokes just became recycled and predictable. And uh, like I don't think they're making new versions of those anymore but there was a time like in the mid 2000s where every year there was one or two more of them um so yeah I, I, maybe that's maybe that's like an untapped market give it a little more time and then some new someone will come along and say hey we're ready for a new sort of parody style comedy movie and they'll bring a new twist to it and it'll work for a whole new generation. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's got to be done because you're right. I remember when the, a lot of those movies were coming out. I used to work at, uh, at a bar uh, before I went back to school and got myself educated. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with working at a bar. But when I worked at a bar, I remember I worked with the, these younger guys. And they were like, oh, you got to watch this movie. This movie's so funny. And it was like how to live in South Central with your juice in the hood or something like that. And it was like the spoof on a whole bunch of movies. And yeah, like it was just terrible. It was just awful. I was like, what am I watching? This is so bad. You know? But but Chris, again, those movies rely so much on you having seen the movies they're parodying that if you haven't seen those movies, you're not going to get the joke. You're not going to understand why a scene is supposed to be funny. And you're just going to keep watching going, this is dumb. This is dumb. This I, is dumb. I understand what you're saying. However, so what? in that circumstance, we watched that movie and we ended up turning it off. I was like, I, I can't watch this movie, guys. What are you making me watch? This movie's crap. And so they said, well, what, what, can you do any better? I'm like, yeah. So I put in Blazing Saddles. I said, watch this. And these are all a bunch of young guys. It's from a movie from 1974. They loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And they don't watch uh, Westerns or anything like that. They're like, it's so there has to be a quality of it being well done. You know, well, but I think that speaks to a point I was making earlier where Mel Brooks early movies spoof a broad genre that with more universal style themes, whereas like Spaceballs spoofs a specific movie rather than a style of movie. And I think those dumber ones like we were just talking about go even the next step farther where they're like, we're going to pick these two or three movies and we're basically just going to mine the original scripts and just make jokes about these scenes. So if you haven't seen those original movies, 
the movie the new parody movie makes no sense whatsoever and i was working at blockbuster video when a lot of those came out right so be i got a lot of free rentals so i had seen all those crappy movies that they were parodying in the first place so the 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 comedy ones were okay and i i got the jokes because I knew the originals, but a lot of times I would think to myself, if I hadn't seen that movie, this whole 20 minute sequence would make no sense to me at all. And it's funny, you know, because we're, you're talking about Mel Brooks and I mentioned how juvenile this is, and it's kind of his downfall too, you had mentioned, which is true. But some of his earlier stuff, I mean, this is a guy who's had, and we love talking about the Oscars on this show, but this is a guy who'd been nominated for Oscars in the past. You know, he won an Oscar in 1969 for the producers for best original screenplay, you know, and some of his other movies have been nominated for Oscars. So, you know, there there was a time, like I say, when I think he was a a lot more clever in his filmmaking and a lot sharper or just, I don't know, just maybe a little bit more on the mark. I mean, not to say that this movie is not on the mark because for what it is, I I love it. It's it's hilarious. But uh, it was pretty much the end to him. You know, after this, he didn't really do anything. Yeah, agreed. You know, it's just the way it is. But uh, overall, uh, how would you say after watching it after 25 years, what would you give it out of 10? Probably give it a six and a half or a seven. Yeah, I think I'd be right around there. I'd probably give it about a seven, you know, like, but in terms of, you know, funniness, you know, like the, how much laughter I got out of it, it was definitely higher than that. Because like, I just I laughed nonstop and I was surprised watching it again. I thought, oh. I don't think I'm going to like this. And I just kept laughing the whole time. It was just so funny. I'm like, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. It's just nonstop jokes. So it, like I say, if there's one joke that doesn't, you don't like, there's another one right after it. So, so it's all good. But uh, anyway, on that note, what do you say we have some fun with caveman? Okay. So uh, I nominated the movie. So trivia is over to you this week. So uh, take it away, my friend. All right. So, uh, I mentioned trivia a little bit earlier. Uh, yep. Sometimes sometimes when we're doing the trivia, we try to be clever and we – instead of just asking you questions about the movie, mm-hmm. we try to come up with questions that are maybe about similar movies or the genre or like we were saying, potentially questions about movies where they break the fourth wall, like something that you sure. can tie in. I decided that for this one, we'd go back to the basics. Okay. So as you mentioned, this movie is – Joke after joke after joke after joke. Nonstop, yep. Nonstop. And it's both audio jokes where they speak dialogue or sight jokes where they do something funny or visual gags on screen where something is written or placed in a way that makes uh, – that's funny. Right. Now, if if you're like me and like a, probably many of our listeners, when I sit down to watch a two-hour movie, especially if it's a movie I've seen before – I'm not always keeping my eyes on the screen for the full two hours. From time to time, I may check my email or in the case when we're doing research for the podcast, I'll be looking it up on the IMDb or I'll be doing searches on the Internet. And I think to myself, well, I know the movie well enough and I know this part well enough. And as long as I'm listening to the dialogue, I'm good. And I figure, Chris, you're probably like me and you're guilty of that. So for the trivia today, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you some questions that are all about sight gags. Okay. Not talked about on screen okay so if you watch this movie this week and you weren't watching it you were just listening to it while you were on your second screen mm-hmm. this is going to be incredibly difficult for you this could be hard yeah now i'll admit some of these questions are probably going to be hard even if you were watching but there are some that if you were paying even marginal attention you should be able to get or at least get pretty close and we'll give you some full marks all right yep so I'm gonna, I wrote the questions as I was watching the movie, so the questions go in chronological order based on when they happened in the movie. So that may or may not help you as we go. All right. In the be- very beginning of the movie, much like in Star Wars, you have the opening text crawl. Yes. Spaceballs is chapter what? Oh, it was like chapter 11. It was yes, chapter 11. Yes. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. So Star Wars being episode four, this is chapter 11. It was a play, right. it was a play on all that episode four crap and all that stuff. Yep. And I'm sure chapter 11, chapter 11 bankruptcy, I'm sure that was sort of subtly in there. Anyway. Okay. Next question. Uh, the the villain ship, I believe it was called Spaceball One. Yep. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Spaceball One had a big bumper sticker on the back of it. What did it say? We break for nobody. Correct. Yes. Great. <laughs> right. Awesome. Then we get to see Lone Star's ship. Right. What is the license plate on the front of Lone Star's ship? 
It's it said I heart Uranus. So that was the bumper sticker. That was right. my next question. That was on the back. Oh, on sorry. The front. He had an actual license plate on the Winnebago. Oh, did you catch what the license plate was? Oh, I can't remember. I don't remember. I'll give you a hint. It was the name of his ship. Oh God, I can't remember. I can't remember it. It escapes Eagle, me. Eagle Five. Oh, Eagle Five. Oh, jeez. And I assume it was called Eagle as a parody for Millennium Falcon. Right. A lot of parodies. Right. So, yeah. All right, and you already got the bumper sticker. Yes. So that was right. Okay. I remember that one. Since we're talking about bumpers, Princess Vespa. Mm-hmm. What was the license plate on her car? Oh God. Oh God, I can't remember. Jeez, I can't remember. It was spoiled rotten one with a couple yes. of apostrophes because it right. couldn't get all the letters right. in there. All right. So, and I'll tell you now, some of these other questions, you've actually touched on them in the conversation. So uh, we'll still give you the question, but we'll see if you get it. Okay. So the part where the ship goes to ludicrous speed. Yes. There were three settings. Oh, jeez. Oh. It started with light speed and it ended with ludicrous speed. What was in between those? Oh, man, it was light speed. They never said it in the dialogue. No, they didn't. It just showed the buttons. It It reminded me of airplane. It reminded me of airplane because they did the same thing similar in airplane. I don't remember what they were, though. So it was light speed. Yep. Ridiculous speed. Okay. Yep. And then ludicrous. And ludicrous speed. Okay. So the answer I was looking for was ridiculous. All right. Uh, When Lone Star... And the rest are dehydrated in the desert, and they are found by the Jawas that we've already established are called Dinks. How many Jawas found them in the desert? Oh, gosh. I don't remember. Six. I was hoping there would be seven. I'm like, come on. They're like the seven dwarves. That seemed like an easy parody. Right, but anyway, you right. we went with six. And then I watched the rest of the scene. There were only ever six of them. Hmm. So anyway. All right. You mentioned the scene where they're combing the desert. Yes. The combs both had the same brand name. Oh, did you happen to catch it? God, I did not know. No idea. Ace. Oh, jeez. I, I assume that's a real comb manufacturer. I, I guess so, maybe, or I don't know. All right. Uh, this one's super hard, so you probably won't get this. When Lone Star goes to Planet Spaceball to rescue Princess Vespa, mm-hmm. where does he park the Winnebago? It had a big uh, on the land where he parks it. It had it painted right on the thing before he landed down the location. Oh, geez. I don't know. I don't remember. Sorry. Yeah, that's a hard one. Prison ball 28. Oh, geez, <laughs> man. And then when he went in to rescue Princess Vespa, what cell was she in? What number? I don't She's know. She's singing the blues. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Oh, I don't remember the cell number. Cell number two. Oh, okay. Jeez, God, Again, some of these hard. are really hard. If you oh, really my have. goodness. Those are okay. tough. This, this, the, the last two are couple. I got two more questions. They're both kind of easy here. Yeah, okay. sure. This one I think is a real easy one. What color were the lightsabers from Dark Helmet and Lone Star? Oh, was it green and red? Uh, Dark Helmets was green. Lone Star's was orange. More of oh, an orange okay. color. Uh, and I think... Because Luke Skywalker had the green lightsaber in Return of the Jedi, I think I was I figured your answer might be that Lone Star had the green one because in Star Wars a good guy had the green one, but mm-hmm. I think Mel Brooks deliberately switched that just to play with it. Okay, last question: What is the name of the diner at the end of the movie where they stop for fuel? It's called the Space Diner. Nope. Oh, I don't remember. I just, Gus's no. Galaxy Grill. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. So. This is this is why you don't watch a movie with two screens. You pay full attention, so you pick up on all the little details. Like I say, the jokes and the, the, the sight gags are coming at you in this movie so fast and furious that it's so hard to miss a lot of this. Like, it's so easy to miss a lot of this stuff. It's hard to pick up on a lot of it. And obviously, my performance in the trivia section tonight uh, displayed that. <laughs> so I got one more bonus question for yeah, you, Yeah, sure. We didn't talk about this at all, so let's just real quick. Sure. There was a big gag part of the movie was about the merchandising yes in the movie there is space balls the insert name of merchandise here i count i wrote down 12 different pieces of merchandise that, that some were directly referred to in the dialogue and some were just shown on screen off the top of your head how many can you come up with okay so i remember there was cereal and there was the yogurt doll and there was, I remember the flamethrower, of course. Of course. Um, was there a bed sheet? 
Yes. And I can't remember any else. Was there shaving cream? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's it. five. Can you think of one more? Can I you get to halfway? Uh, I don't know. Um, was there a lunchbox? Yes. <laughs> So I redeemed myself. Somewhere. Okay, you got, you got half. The other ones that I had on my list were T-shirts, dinner plate, coloring book, toilet paper, and the toilet paper had Dark Helmet's face on it. Of course. Uh, Spaceballs, the towel, which yeah. was right next to Spaceballs, the shaving cream, and then Spaceballs, the placemat. Oh, the placemat, of course. And the yeah. funny thing was that whole scene, why they put that scene in there, was because Mel Brooks actually went to George Lucas before he even made this movie and said, hey – are you cool with me spoofing Star Wars? And George Lucas said, I have no problem with you doing this. I think it's a great idea. I love your work. Do it. The only thing is, you cannot sell any merchandise from the movie because he didn't want him, you know, um, profiting off of merchandise from spoofing Star Wars, which I can understand. So Mel Brooks just crammed it all into the movie, but he never like sold any of it or anything like that. But that's why the just recurring joke in the movie is about the merchandise. So... Yep, there you go. Nice. Anyway, so uh, so on that note, I mean, eh, it was pretty good. You know, we we both enjoyed this movie. It was nice to go back and take another look at it. Next week, we're, we're you're not going to nominate a movie. We're going to come back next time with the uh, with a, with a top five list. We'll we'll come back with something like that. But if if you enjoy the show, make sure and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd certainly like that. You can go to popcultureworld.com and find all of our contact information there. If you want to send us an email or if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you'll find Derek at Amaron underscore DM. You're going to find me at C McBrien. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 